During uh, this Lenten journey, we are moving closer to the cross. You may have noticed the crosses that are hanging on the sidewalls here in the sanctuary. They also are moving forward with each week. We're learning what it means to move in faith, to move in strength, to move in love toward the cross. But the reality, the necessity of the cross is getting closer and it is unsettling. Fear is rising. The images are disturbing. The implications are distressing. The cross is is a symbol of death, of sin, of shame. The cross, whether it is Jesus' cross or our own, threatens to undo us. Cross, conflict, confusion, closed minds, calloused hearts, condemnation, and chaos stand in opposition to calm and peace. Serenity, peace, tranquility are tested. There are many things that threaten to rob us of peace if we allow them. Yet there is a peace that is given by God, a peace that transcends the complexities of life, a peace that passes understanding. It is the promise of peace in the face of seeming impossibilities. It is a peace that rises above the the rabble and the rubble of this ruined world. As we contemplate Jesus moving toward Jerusalem, his determination, his resolve, his sense of mission and purpose, we see a man with a deep sense of peace about what is happening and what is about to happen. And even when he is at his most vulnerable state, feeling the weight of the world, his soul overwhelmed with sorrow and such anxiety that his heart is nearly failing, he finds the strength, the courage, and the peace to keep pursuing the path that he is on. A path that will eventually lead to life, but not until he moves through suffering and death. As the most healthy and whole human being who has ever lived, the very epitome of a man fully alive, bearing the image of God, Jesus is not stuck. He moves. He moves in faith, strength, love. He moves with purpose and passion. He moves in peace. Trusting his Father's presence, confident that he is on God's path, and that allows him to not be self-absorbed or wallowing in self-pity for what he must go through, but giving and serving and loving others right to the end. Jesus is at peace, and he imparts peace to his disciples. The night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he knew that his disciples were going to be uh, thrown into chaos and confusion. Their world was about to come crashing in on them. He knew that, that, that his crucifixion and death would leave them reeling in pain and anguish. He knew that they would be consumed with regret and remorse for their own response to what was happening. He knew that they would be tempted to despair and that their hearts were going to be gripped with fear. So wanting to prepare them as best he can, Jesus spoke words of comfort and hope to his disciples. And what he spoke has echoed down through the ages, read and repeated to others facing difficult circumstances. 
There are many things, as I said, that threaten to rob us of peace. I don't even need to rehearse for you the litany of things in our day that, that cause us to be fearful. I mean, our culture, I think, is one that is fear-mongering. People play on our fears. Everywhere you look, people are playing on our fears, getting us to respond in some way. But perhaps the, the greatest fear, the greatest disruptor of peace is, is, is death itself. It is the final storm that we all must go through. And whether it is our own end or that of a loved one, God offers comfort and peace. I can't tell you how many times I have read the words that you just heard a moment ago in our scripture today. I can't tell you how many times I have read those words to uh, folks who were nearing the end of life or to those who had just lost loved ones. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Jesus was not about to abandon or leave his disciples. He was preparing a place for them and us in a world where we often feel that we have no place or out of place. All our lives, God is present in the immediate circumstances of our lives. But at the same time, I think God is always preparing us for what is next. God walks with us through valleys of shadow and death, of loss and surrender, but he does not abandon or leave us there, even though there are times when it may feel that way. He is with us always, and he leads us to life. And knowing this, we can be at peace when there is no peace. In Christ, you can be in the midst of a storm and still have peace, a serenity in your soul that defies understanding or explanation, a tranquility that rises, above, uh, that rises above the troubles that you're facing. The context of Jesus' words to us this morning was his own imminent death. These words, of course, were spoken the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was crucified and put to death on the cross. So facing, facing his own death, Jesus shared these words with his disciples, but facing our own death or that of a loved one also threatens our peace. And this is why Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust me. It is applicable to anything, friends, that would rob us of peace. But it is an important word when we are faced either with our own end or the loss of a loved one. A lifelong member of our church here at Zion passed a little over a week ago, Janet Cates. She was 87 years old. I'm going to share something with you that I don't usually share because I, I think those moments are, are intimate and personal. But the family... Um, asked me to share this at the funeral, so had you been there, you would have heard this, and I'm going to share it with you now. A week before Janet passed, her son Doug was here from Florida visiting for about three weeks, and uh, one evening he was late in the middle of the night. He was in uh, Janet's bedroom with her, and she was failing, and suddenly a blue light appeared in the bedroom, and uh, Doug described it. He sort of held his hand like this. It was like, like a flash or a streak. 
And just as he's trying to figure out where in the world this light came from, in that moment, his mother awoke from a a semi or, or unconscious state. And she said, why is my mother standing at the foot of the bed? And Doug said, "Uh, I don't see her, Mom, but I believe you. And then a few moments later, Janet reached up her hand and and as though she were trying to grab hold of something, and she said, it's a miracle. And Doug said, what's a miracle, Mom? And she said, I can't tell you in words. And uh, I have heard similar stories from those who were near the end or family members who were with loved ones who were about to part. I don't think that we need to dismiss or doubt what people have experienced near the end of life as they are about to enter eternity. Why should it surprise us? God is simply preparing his people to come home. Part of the prayer that I offer oftentimes near, uh, when folks are nearing the end of life out of our covenant book of, of worship, uh, is this is part of the prayer that I pray. Fill his or her eyes now with your own light that she may see beyond human sight a home that you have prepared where all pain is gone and physical frailty becomes glory. Banish all fear. Jesus came from heaven, and before he went back to heaven, he is preparing his disciples for their own departure one day. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'll be back for you. There is a place prepared for you, and you will be there with me. Because I live, you also will live. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. If not even death can separate us from God and his love, do we have anything else in life to fear? I mean, really, I mean, I know that we do. We do have other things that we fear, but should we? If the ultimate battle, if the ultimate test of our lives, if the ultimate challenge or storm of our lives has been vanquished, do we have anything else to fear? Peace is a word that is found liberally throughout the scriptures. And the good news of Jesus is called the gospel of peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had peace and he imparted peace to his disciples and he offers us peace. Peace that passes understanding. After telling his disciples that he is preparing a place for them, and, and coming to get them, he says that they know the, pl- the way to the place where he's going. It's, it's sort of puzzling. I, Thomas had his question, but my question would be like, well, if you're coming back to get me, I don't really know, need to know how to get to that place. But he says, I'm, I'm going away, but you know the place where I'm going. And Thomas, you got to love Thomas for speaking his mind, including his doubts and his skepticism. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Aren't you glad he asked the question? I mean, Jesus' response, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus offers himself as the way, the gate, the door, the entry point into the kingdom. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who came to make peace between God and man, the one who will bring peace or shalom to all of creation, Jesus is the pathway to peace. He holds the truth that ultimately brings peace. He is life and he is peace. 
Through Jesus the Christ, we have peace with God as well as the potential for peace within ourselves, peace with one another, with our fellow man, and ultimately even peace with creation. So if you find yourself unsettled these days, fearful, anxious, worried, critical, or afraid, stuck and not moving, I want to tell you that peace is possible. You can experience it, calm, tranquility, serenity now, even in the midst of cataclysmic changes, through an awareness of God's continual presence. The key is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Trust God, trust me, Jesus said. Herein lies your security, which no one and no circumstance can take from you. Jesus was secure in the love and the presence of his Father as he journeyed to the cross. He was completely at peace and thus able to be the peacemaker. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the pathway to peace. He paved the way for us to be at peace with God. He not only offers us peace, but he calls us to receive that peace and to be like him to be peacemakers, reconcilers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I don't think that you can be a peacemaker until you have first received peace yourself. A peacemaker who is at peace, who pursues peace, seeks peace, petitions for peace, works for peace, is called a son of God. There is something God-like about being a peacemaker maybe even about being at peace. Those who are instruments of peace, whether between a man and his fellow, or between husband and wife, or between family members, or between cities or nations or governments, are reflecting the character of God. The message of peace, the message of reconciliation, has been committed to us, not just to proclaim it, but to live it, to demonstrate it. We are, or should be, about bringing people Together, bridging divides, uniting opposing sides, helping people see all sides with divine wisdom and divine creativity, offering a different way, a third way to the issues that pit people against one another. And when we are not acting Christ-like, not reflecting the image of God, we fail to be peacemakers and contribute further to the division and the chaos, the lack of peace in our world. I need to address something this morning, just pastorally and spiritually, so please just bear with me as I share this or say this. Um, I think most of us have experienced this of late, uh, the lack of peace, and, and I'm alluding to the, to the whole process and the aftermath of this last presidential election. Bear with me, okay? I need to say this as a pastor. Because most of us have been unsettled by all of it. And pastors sometimes find themselves in the middle of it all. Because it's, it's, we've all experienced this, haven't we? I have family and friends who are on different pages, different perspectives, and, and passionate about their positions. 
to the point where we all feel the tension in our families and among our friends. And let me tell you, it's in the church too. Christians are pitted against one another. I don't remember another time, at least in my life, when there's been such division within our culture, society, and even within the church. Maybe I've seen this term before, but I saw yesterday on Facebook, I, I saw, I don't remember seeing this term before, but we all hear the term the Christian, the Christian right. Now I'm hearing terms the Christian left. There's no right or left. There's just Christian, okay? We need to live together. We need to be together, okay? So um, peace eludes us. Fears are running high. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Prince of Peace, not the princes in this world, whoever they may be, good or ill. And rather than allowing ourselves to become entrenched in partisanship, we all need to seek the higher road of reconciliation and peace. We need to be less sure about the rightness of either side and assume that there's another way, a higher way, a way and truth that will lead to more abundant life for all. The right doesn't have it all right, and the left doesn't get it all right. Scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. I'd rather be known as a son of God than a son of a, well, you know. Don't judge me, Jay. I want to share a story with you. Uh, from modern times of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. I had a classmate in college and seminary. Um, Now, this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. A classmate who was from South Africa. He was white and a product of apartheid. And um, this friend was extremely racist. I mean, embarrassingly racist. Product of his culture, okay? And he's studying for the ministry like we all were. And many of us are classmates of him. We were like sometimes sort of appalled by the things that would come out of his mouth and his attitudes toward people of of color, if you will. And I knew this guy well. I mean, because he was from South Africa, he often stayed here in the summers. And he, he lived with my grandparents, my grandparents, two or three summers. He stayed with them on the lake in Wisconsin. So I knew him well. He's, he's a pastor today. He's a pastor out in South Dakota and sort of lost touch. So I don't know how any of his heart or perspective has ever changed. But as I said, he was a product of apartheid. If, you, if you're not familiar with apartheid, it was an oppressive white regime in South Africa that practiced racial segregation and discrimination, a white majority that imposed harsh treatment on blacks. And now Nelson Mandela, this is just a little history lesson this morning, Nelson Mandela was a political revolutionary who was, of course, anti-apartheid, and he was imprisoned for his activity. In 1964, he was sent to prison for 27 years. And while he was in prison, he was uh, heinous, heinous things were done to him. Brutal torture was done to him at the hands of, of, of white guards. In 1990, then-President um, F.W. de Klerk uh, released Mandela, and de Klerk, I think, knew that apartheid needed to end. And so he worked with Mandela over the next few years, and uh, they worked hard to bring about racial reconciliation and healing to their nation and, and to tackle institutionalized racism. And in 1993, the two men received the Nobel Peace Prize for their hard work. 
Archbishop Desmond Tutu was also instrumental in helping South Africa heal from its racial divides. All three men were instrumental in peace and are peacemakers, I'll say sons of God. Well, Mandela was elected president of South Africa in 1994 in the first widely held democratic election. Mandela was, was elected president. And there at his inauguration, seated in the front row, was not his family members or his closest friends, but the guards who had brutalized him in prison. He publicly forgave them. Nelson Mandela is considered by South Africans, white and black alike, to be the father of their nation. And by our father, a son of God. A man at peace who is able to be a peacemaker. Peace comes at a cost. Peacemakers pay a high price to bring about reconciliation, to bridge divides. Jesus, of course, paid the highest price. But he calls us to take up our crosses, to pursue the path of peace, to have peace, to receive it for ourselves, and to be peacemakers. And the only thing, friends, the only thing I think that stands in the way of us both receiving peace and offering it is fear. It's fear. Fear is the antithesis of peace. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. The disciples were to be at peace, and they were about to go out into the world to be peacemakers. They were about to go out into the world to proclaim the gospel of peace. The same charge has been given to us, you know. And even if we must go to the cross, even if we must die proclaiming and practicing peace, there is a place, Jesus says, that's prepared for us where we will be with him forever. No fear. Peace.